Welcome to the Nonprofit Voice, which is brought to you by Nonprofit Pro, the go-to resource for nonprofit management and strategy. For our Nonprofit Voice text series, join Mark Becker, founding partner of Cathexis Partners and editorial advisory board member for Nonprofit Pro. In each episode, he will welcome nonprofit executives and technology partners to discuss the latest nonprofit tools to help your organization navigate the rapidly evolving technology landscape. This special episode features a technology provider that will be attending Bridge Tech, a new education day on August 2nd prior to the Bridge Conference in National Harbor, Maryland. For more information and to join Nonprofit Pro, DMAW, and AFPDC at Bridge Tech, visit bridgeconf.com. That's B-R-I-D-G-E-C-O-N-F.com. And add Bridge Tech to your Bridge Conference registration at checkout. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Mark Becker here, founding partner of Cathexis Partners, and uh, joined today by a couple of gentlemen who love to talk about AI and uh, donor prospecting and all of that. And um, I'm very excited to to talk with, with Nathan. I can't believe he's able to carve out some time as busy as he is with his, his job and his book and everything. But Nathan, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, Nathan Chappelle. I'm the Senior Vice President at Donor Search AI. Uh, I don't know. I guess I consider myself a recovering fundraiser. So I spent 20 years um, in fundraising, leading fundraising teams. Kind of most of my career straddled both sides, operations and, and fundraising. And then in 2017, really got interested in artificial intelligence in the nonprofit sector. And so it's been a number of years now working in machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing. So my division at DonorSearch works with um, a lot of the the top nonprofits in the country as far as uh, deploying responsible AI to essentially measure connection of people, which is a little bit different than how we've been fundraising for many years. So I know it's something that uh, John can talk about as well. Uh, this idea of that really getting to know people through multiple domains and uh, lots of data and, and advanced technology. So thanks for having us and it's exciting to be here. Yeah, you bet. John, you wanna introduce yourself, your role. Sure. So uh, I'm John Thompson, the Associate Vice President of Philanthropic Strategy and Technology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or uh, one of the, the largest and most prominent, in fact, the nation's first dedicated children's hospital um, that uh, is, is really embedded in research just as much as uh, frontline care. And so my career actually got started on the political side. I was on the teams that invented the first CRMs for the political industry and um, took that into foreign policy and ultimately ended up doing uh, game theory around our foreign trade treaties and looking at how uh, Russia's leverage over the EU body vis-a-vis -vis its uh, natural gas trade with Germany. So very applicable right now. It's kind of funny to roll back and put that old hat on from you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, but uh, I came back to the, the States from working uh, with the EU and wanted to get into or wanted to learn about soft power. So I joined with the nonprofit CARE. And that's how I uh, got acquainted with uh, the nonprofit side of things. And while my focus with CARE was how do we utilize technology to um, create uh, um, political dynamics and conversations, I actually started getting hooked on fundraising. It's kind of an addictive little drug. Um, and so from CARE, I went back to politics and ultimately ended up at the Children's Hospital of D.C. and eventually up to, to CHOP. Nice, nice. And how are you working with um, the folks over at um, Donor Search? Well, I, if I could zoom that out a little bit, when I came to to Chop, the the mandate around my position was to answer the question: How does technology advance philanthropy? 
And that is actually a really key um, question to ask because mm -hmm. most nonprofits think about technology rather myopically. It's either here's an email, please give us money, or here's a report, here's where you stand. But when you can zoom out and ask the question, how does technology advance philanthropy? You're able to start getting into things such as AI, big data, marketing automation, virtual reality, so on and so forth. And so the way that we started intersecting with uh, donor search is that we wanted to go and study uh, how our pipeline is created. CHOP was going into a campaign and it wanted to double philanthropy. Well, when you're doubling anything, it's safe to say that whatever got you there probably isn't going to be what take, took you forward. And so by really studying how we um, built out um, our pipeline, we knew that our industry's bread and butter was all around the wealth screen. And at the time, we were using one vendor, and we were finding that even our wealth screen approach um, wasn't as accurate or as informative as what we needed to be. And so we put that, that work up for, um, for RP and ultimately actually settled with donor search. So that was stage one. Stage two, though, is we started to develop this um, this idea around that wealth alone was not a worthy enough indicator of someone's um, uh, willingness to engage with us. And so we came up with this idea around attachment. We need to measure how attached they are to our organization. We started playing with simple scorecards with the idea that if you came in for cancer treatment, you were probably more attached to us than if you came in for a sports injury. And mm -hmm. we started dominoing that out. That ultimately led us into AI. Um, the idea that uh, all of those um, those data points um, might be compelling in and of themselves, but actually in concert, they become more interesting. And when you start dominoing out that, um, you can build some of those in-house, but you can also uh, buy some of those, such as donor search AI. And so if you're thinking... If you're as you're a, you know, a main leader in philanthropy, you don't want to necessarily have to do or invent what's already working on the shelf. And so we absolutely started purchasing options off the shelf. We then had to take that further, though, and get into um, to donor state modeling, just because some AI measures how are you attached to us as a constituent of the hospital, we also have to recognize that you're a constituent of the foundation, that you've been interacting in direct response for a while, and then you're... Um, uh, you're going to interact over here. What does that mean about you know, the possibility for lifetime value? And then we take it to the the third part of where we're going. Um, and this is where uh, Nathan and I usually get our, our chuckles. Um, but just because you're attached to the organization and you're wealthy still doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a donor. And the joke I like to say is that I was uh, watching DuckTales with my daughter and Scrooge McDuck got hit by a car. And in the moment, you realize that he is both wealthy and attached to the mission, and yet still a jerk. And so we had to think about how do we measure psychology? Psychologically, are you the right type of person who will get philanthropically engaged? And we had to turn to big data for that. Um, and so we look at the nexus of all of these scores, the psychological, the attachment, and the wealth, and we're now building pipeline off of that. So how are we doing? Well, we first started uh, playing with this in direct response. Um, I have yet to meet the major, uh, the CDO who will let me experiment on the major gift team. So I had to start <laughs> at least with the mail team. Um, and so uh, with that, we actually found about an 85% improvement in response rate by building our, our segmentation off of all of these various scores. And then with that, about a 25% higher average gift size. So we were on to something. And at that point, every CDO will let you start monkeying with the the, mm -hmm. your gift officers. And so when we turned to our gift officers, we actually turned to our cancer team 
and uh, we ran a blind test with them. It was a true A-B test for, um, for oh, like a year and a half. And we started to say, um, you know, just do what you're doing and we'll figure out in the back end uh, what's the lift. So what was the end result? Well, the response rate was actually flat which was kind of a bummer if you think about it, particularly with such a jump in response rate of direct response. And then it occurred to me, that's actually not such a bad thing, that, that a first-generation AI product is actually picking people with the same success rate as an entire team of professionals who have been building lists their entire life. That's actually kind of awesome. And then so the next question is, well, what is it doing? And the people that the, our AI and our big data systems were picking were moving through moves management 17% faster and giving a 22% higher average gift size. Right. Wow. And so <laughs> you, you ask, uh, you know, what are we doing with donor search? The, the shortest answer is we're reinventing what the industry is together because we're, we're, we're stepping to the side of saying, this is how lists have always been put together. And we're creating, let's just call it the philanthropic version of Moneyball, where we can use all of this probabilistic modeling to focus on our efforts where it's going to matter most so to take some of the bricks out of the bag of our gift officers. Do you have some thoughts on that, Nathan? I, uh, and you, now you can tell Mark why John and I like spending so much time together. We're like this like equally yoked uh, nerd. Yeah, I love it. From this, this whole idea of what, you know, what used to be is not what's going to get us there as an industry. And, and frankly, this idea that you can, it's not all in one magic wand or a silver bullet that really, I mean, smart people working together in lots of different tools I, the end result is I I actually spoke with one of um, one of the end users, a fundraiser who's very highly competitive, very successful fundraiser um, that John works with, and it was just incredible to hear him say, you know, since using it was actually our first first version uh, machine learning model from several years ago, closed more gifts faster at a higher average dollar rate directly from the horse's mouth, and that is just you know something that is unbelievable because to John's point our industry has been heavily reliant on actual FTEs of just curating, you know, individual prospects and then handing them out like candy, you know, versus let's let AI do all the sorting to essentially package, you know, what acceptable prospects look like that will convert at a higher, uh, at a higher rate average uh, and a much higher lifetime value. In fact, we find that when we were, you know, looking at individuals, not all donors are created equal either. So like when we're looking at individuals that are going to go the distance with you, they have a 15 times lifetime value than an individual that's going to give to you one time. So to John's point, I mean, this is a complete paradigm shift from this idea that more is better. Our industry has been focused on this idea, just more, 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 like more, all donors are created equal. Um, it, we flip the pyramid on this idea that wealth is not a great indicator. And then two, like getting into the connection and the psychology, you know, so that we're not just finding, you know, more Scrooge McDucks and, you know, everyone is then unhappy at the end of the day. So I, I do think this is a, a pivotal time. I, I, I truly I don't say this lightly, an inflection point for our industry. Nonprofit industry is not uh, healthy as it stands um, holistically. And I think it, it's really where, you know, specifically AI can really bring a level of precision and personalization that, um, without it, I think we end up, you know, not no chance of reversing kind of the decrease in households I give. I love all of that. And what I hear, you know, through one lens is, is that, oh my God, they're coming to take my jobs. AI is going to, but 
what I truly hear myself is, no, use AI. You're using that intelligence to better inform your staff so they can have better conversations and get better results, right? Yeah. So if you, <laughs> let's take CHOP, for example. We wanted to double philanthropy. But yeah. does in order to double philanthropy, do we need to double our team size? I don't think most nonprofits can afford to double their team size if they need to double philanthropy. So you have to start looking for systems to automate and change your scale without necessarily changing the human component of it. Likewise, gift officers, they've got this uh, secret sauce. And I, I don't mean that uh, as in like, they're the smoothest talkers out of the world, but they build relationships. They build meaningful relationships, mm -hmm. meaningful connection. And yet, if you look at a broke a breakdown of how are they spending their time, not all of their time is actually on that secret sauce. A fair amount of it is on data entry or cold calling or just trying to set something up. All of that is ripe for marketing automation and reach out with AI if you can get all the pieces stitched together the right way. So I, I see this less as they're, the machines are here to take my job. The machines are here to replace your scooter with a motorcycle. Yeah. Like it's yeah. go time. Yeah. And, and, and I will only add to that is that, you know, the train has left the station. I think the nonprofit sector is notoriously behind the private sector in embracing, you know, innovation and, and what, what they deem as risky technology. But I mean, as we know, with like ChatGPT and just AI is not going away. It's not a fad. It's not something that any successful organization can do without in the future. So, you know, will, you know, robots replace fundraisers? No, but fundraisers that use AI will replace those that don't, for sure. And so John's been able to see this directly, you know, from direct response, from major gift of like, those that are, you know, you know, have that AI co-pilot, you know, not to steal Microsoft's uh, thunder, um, is they can be more successful more often. And that is a, a giant efficiency game. I mean, it's what, it's the entire game, you know, for nonprofits that need that have limited resources and need to deploy all the resources in the most effective way. So, and I think it's an exciting time for organizations that embrace it. For those that don't, um, I think those that have and those that have not is are going to be much more noticeable in the near future. Yeah, it's getting rid of the the tedious rote kind of um, you know, pieces of the the job and and. And the scientific ones, you know, that you can tee up so easily through, um, through just creating, you know, different algorithms to define these things and serve them up to the smart people to then do their jobs better, right? And and I guess I'll only add because I feel totally compelled, and I'm trying to train myself that I never use the word AI without the word responsible in front of it. A lot of what John believes, and I think the reason why, like, I'm I'm so um, grateful to be his friend and, and partner in all things geeky data philanthropy is that, you know, there's a lot of ways to use this data and technology, you know, in a way that's manipulative. But if you're really tapping in holistically more from a more donor centric, a patient centric perspective, like we can approach people where they're at when, when they want to be approached in a way that's going to feel personalized to them. And that's where this idea of responsible AI is, um, I think it will have a lot of potential for good in our industry. I don't know, John, if you have any. That's actually a really great point. I often get asked about the the ethics around, uh, you know, the data that's needed. And I, I bring it all back to, well, what are, what are we trying to do? And the North Stars of my team is to know who our constituents are, 
what is their relationship with us and what is the possibility to uh, change that relationship or improve it for the greatest lifetime value? Well, none of those things are, are um, Machiavellian. None of them are, are there to, um, to, to say that I, um, you know, uh, want to, um, you know, influence how people think it, it's, it's saying I, I want to know my customer and I want to recognize you exactly where you're at. And you think about like, well, where's that already happening? Well, it's already happening with Amazon and people aren't creeped out per se by Amazon's technology. What they are is thankful that Amazon is recognizing what is most appealing to them at any given time and being efficient about it. The same thing can be said about uh, their relationship with an institution. It it would actually be somewhat insulting if, um, if top had somebody who had been coming for care for 10 years and then they uh, decided to participate in a race to, to honor that, how insulting would it be if we didn't recognize that long standing relationship? We're just finding ways to, to do that and to bring it at scale. And then I, where we're going with all of this is that we can start adjusting content and tone and syntax and uh, channel permutations based upon what is most receptive for Jane Doe at any given moment. And that's wonderful because it will ultimately deepen that relationship and help us further a mission together. Love it. I love it. So, yeah, um, looking forward, I know, you know, Nathan, you, last summer you came out with a book, right? And, and uh, you've been a busy man, like I said, but um, looking forward, you got you got Bridge Tech coming up, um, part of the Bridge Conference in, in August, August 2nd, I think is the day of Bridge Tech. What are you going to be talking about there? I, I just have to laugh because I think it's so ironic that we have to have tech um, added on to not to anything that tech is, <laughs> it should is be there. everything now. But yeah, so it's exciting to to um, be able to host a session at Bridge Tech. And one of the uh, personal passions of mine is a group called uh, the Farmlink Project that was started out from a bunch of college students during COVID that saw food being plowed under and 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 also lines at food banks that were miles long. And they've decided to do, uh, they decided to do something about it. And in fact, they're in People Magazine uh, in the print edition this week. So um, it's just been an uh, amazing testimony of an organization that um, is not bound by the conventional wisdom of what can't happen. That from day one, we started supplying all of their AI for free and still continue to support their data and their, and their AI efforts. And it's amazing to see what an organization not bound by a lot of a tradition of what can't happen um, to really leaning into what can happen from um, using a lot of really smart technology to get to know the right people at the right time. So they're going to be there um, with me. Um, John Thompson's going to be there and we're going to convince him to, to spend some time with us as well. I think we're going to have a really robust conversation uh, about the future of our sector um, because a lot's at stake and you know, we owe this to our industry. We, if if you care for the nonprofit industry, it's really time to really take a, a look at what's working, what's not working, double down um, on technology that allows for personalization and precision. Well said. And uh, John, any any final thoughts or lessons from the trenches? I just want to keep going back to the the statement of how does technology advance philanthropy. Uh, we we still thinking way too myopically in our industry and we're leaving more options off the table than we are one of my my side projects is um uh is getting excess computing power 
Um, and so if you think a lot of nonprofits are about finding things of value um, and then leveraging that, one of the things that has the greatest amount of value is your idle desktop. And when we crunched the numbers and uh, did a distributive rendering system, much like um, what like SETI at Home did in the 90s, uh, if you apply that to crypto um, by our email file, we mm. could be raising about $1.3 billion a year um, in unrestricted funds by accepting the donation of excess computing power rather than just money. Now, there are a whole lot of issues with that. So don't get me wrong that we're, we're running right into it. But it's a, an idea of if you can step back and rethink a lot of these problems, we can reshape the industry if we're just creative enough. We sure. have, just have to have the will to ask. I love it. I love it. Um, no, on that note, I think is a great place to leave it. Unless uh, Nathan, you have any final thoughts you no, want to add I, to that? I let, always let John get the last word because that's when people <laughs> yeah. just leave. Like, oh, I want to hear more, and I think it's always better to want to know more than less. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, we could talk about this forever, but thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining me today, and thanks everybody for listening in. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us at Bridge Tech and for the next episode of the Nonprofit Voice. Listen to more episodes at nonprofitpro.com as well as on Apple, Google, and Spotify.